John chapter 14, have you found it? Verse number 12. Let's look at that together. John chapter 14. Our topic for this uh, series of messages, which has been going on quite a while, is why Pentecost? Trying to answer the question, why are we Pentecostal? Why? What's the big deal? Is this really important? Should we be? I mean, those are questions worth answering. But in John chapter 14, verse 12, we'll start today. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go unto my Father. The works of Jesus. The works of Jesus. Of Jesus. Now we know that Jesus went around the cities and villages, Matthew 9, 35, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. We know, according to Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We know Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And then, as if another confirmation uh, for us here, this verse we just read, before Jesus even went to the cross and completed the work of redemption, he was saying to those who were, his, those who were believers that they were going to do the works that he would do. Now, people sometimes wonder, what are the greater works? Uh, I don't know that we do greater works in quality, but today the church would be able, as a body covering the world, to do greater in quantity, at least. There are different thoughts that people have about it, but one of the things I like to point out is until you're actually doing the works of Jesus, you might want to not worry about the last part. Amen. Until you're laying hands on the sick and they're getting healed, until you're casting out devils, until you're bringing peace to the lives of people, until you're helping bring blessing to people, then you don't need to worry about the last part. Just let's work on doing the works of Jesus. Amen. So the disciples of Jesus looked at the church as a continuation of his ministry. And in the New Testament, it's revealed to us that the church is actually what's called the body of Christ. He's the head. He's in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is our intercessor. He is our lawyer. He is our high priest. He is the head of the church, and we are his body. And so that's revealed to us in Scripture that we are his body. And then, of course, in the verse we just read, we have the revelation that we're to do his works. And then, of course, we know that it's the same spirit. The spirit that fell at Pentecost is the same spirit that anointed Jesus of Nazareth. It's not a different spirit. We're not a different body today in 2022 than the church was uh, in the beginning right there on the day of Pentecost. And we know that it's his gospel. We know that we preach his message, we have available to us, and he lives within us, and we're anointed by his spirit. We know we're called to do his works because we are his body. Now, that's the early church's estimation and their vision of the church. Now, I know that things have gotten off track in a lot of quarters. I know that there are a lot of people who, just the statements I've just made, that would sound almost like a foreign language to them because they're not even thinking about doing the works of Jesus. They don't think in terms of the church as a body of Christ. They think about it in different ways, maybe as a social organization or a, a help organization, a relief organization or whatever. But what we need to understand, and this is important in our study about Pentecost, especially talking about the way the Holy Spirit relates to the church as a body, we need to understand that the early church believers, and especially those leaders in the early church, would not have seriously considered trying to do ministry just with emotional tools. They would not have seriously considered doing ministry only using psychological methods. They would not have considered doing ministry only using natural or physical uh, tools or terms. Because all of these things combined, the emotional, the psychological, the, the natural, the physical, all these things combined couldn't get the job done and cannot today get the job done. Now I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
And let's read again something we looked at last week that Paul said. Because you might remember that Paul was not an original one of the 12 disciples. But he came in later. And we read of his conversion in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. But Paul knew that the gospel commission depended on the supernatural. Not on intellectual ability. Not on speaking ability. Not on political connections or financial ability per se. He knew that the, that the propagation of the gospel and the power of God to reach and touch people's lives and change them was wrapped up in the supernatural power of God. And I'm saying all this because it's no different today. It's no different today. But let's read his words in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, beginning with verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. See, that happens when you throw away your natural crutches. That can happen to you when you lay aside those things that you always have trusted in from your natural uh, arsenal and your fleshly tools. He says, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. How did you minister, Paul? And for a moment, let's think about what he did do. He wrote half the New Testament. There's been no one individual other than Jesus himself who has influenced Christianity more than the Apostle Paul. Because of the Pauline revelation, because of the truths of the epistles, of the body of Christ and who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ and what we can do in Him, because of those revelations, the world has been changed. Everywhere the gospel has went, it has changed the entire culture. Just look at the difference between what we call the Western world and the Eastern world. What made the difference between a, a world that knew nothing of God, knew nothing of Jesus, and the world on the other side that lifted up Jesus, recognized the power of the cross, and took the Word of God as God's true Word and patterned their laws and their civilization after that. You can see the difference. It's an amazing difference. The whole culture of life, the whole culture of the sanctity of marriage, the whole culture of honesty, integrity, the what's sometimes referred to as the Judeo-Christian uh, concept of law and order and all those kinds of things. All because Paul went west, not east. Not an accident of history and not a coincidence of geography, but in obedience to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not meaning that the gospel shouldn't go everywhere, and it is going everywhere, but there was a pattern and an order. And you see that the greater that people took it up, the more acceptance it had the more that they interwove the truths of the Bible into their culture, the better their world was. And I'm not talking about a utopia. I'm not talking about a perfection that has no faults. I'm not trying to rewrite history, but I'm just telling you that you and I are a whole lot better off because somebody brought us the gospel than we would ever have been if nobody had ever told us about Jesus. And I don't mean just because that makes a difference between heaven and hell, which it does. But it also makes a difference in how you live in your world today. So Paul understood that it was important in verse 4 that his speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So here this great intellectual this highly educated man, this very powerful speaker and persuasive man, said, I laid all of that aside to preach Jesus. 
And I didn't just preach a message. I didn't just bring a, quote, homily. I didn't just bring a motivational talk. But I brought you a message that was confirmed as the Spirit demonstrated with supernatural power that which I spoke. And I'm here today to tell you on this, the fifth day of June 2022, this pattern in the mind of God was never taken away. All of the problems, or at least let me say it this way, most all the problems, at least, that we would ever see in the church can be traced back to wherever that group or that leader or those people determined they would no longer do the gospel this way. When they determined that there were other things that would take precedence over the supernatural and the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, when they determined that they needed to be accepted by the society as a whole and the culture in general and that their community needed to look at them and think that these are respectable people, these are wonderful people. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we do things just to antagonize others or that we try to hold up a banner of ignorance when there's no need to do that. I'm not saying that we do that, but I'm saying when we sacrifice the move of the Holy Ghost when we sacrifice the truth of the Word of God, when we say that miracles are not for today, when we say that God does not heal, when we say that things cannot be turned around supernaturally by the power of God, we are doing a disservice to the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, because my Bible says and your Bible says that He has not changed, but He is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. If he was ever a healer, if he was ever a deliverer, if he was ever a provider, if he was ever the way, the truth, and the life, he is still that way today. Hallelujah. And if some of the most wise people who ever lived in the days of the apostles, if they would cling to this truth above their other stuff that they could and maybe do, if they would go after the Word first and the move of the Spirit first, then my goodness, in 2022, with the mess our world is in, the mess our nation is in, how much more today should the church stand firm and declare that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life? He is rightfully the Lord of lords and King of kings, and all those who will serve Him and submit to Him can have His covenant blessings. It's very simple. And very, very powerful. Hallelujah. The church is a powerful body. The church is powerful, but dependent. The church is powerful, but dependent. Because without the person and the power and the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit... The church becomes just another social or relief organization. And I will go so far to say, as, to say this. If you take out the active working of the Holy Spirit from the church, you are left with dead religion. I'm going to say that again. Some of you act like you didn't hear that. If you take out the working of the Holy Spirit from the church you are left with dead religion. Is it any wonder why so many people don't care whether they ever go to church again or not? Why does anybody want to sit through dead religion in stale, musty-smelling buildings with people who are hide-bound to traditions that they can't even find a verse in the Bible to, to uphold? who if the Holy Spirit came in with a red hat on, they wouldn't even recognize Him. And if the Spirit did move in His gifts and power, they would either get so angry or so scared, they'd want it to be over with. But I'm describing to you the picture of many church congregations in America today. And I know that's a bold statement, and I know that someone could rise up with indignation and say, how dare you say such a thing? I'll tell you how dare I say it because it's the truth. It's the truth. 
There are many, many people today who think they're on their way to heaven, but they're not. They've never been born again. They don't even understand what that is. They don't even want to hear that term. And, and I know the church has dropped the ball in a lot of places. Some people don't want to hear the term born again because they associate that term with some kind of a political movement. Some people don't want to hear about the Holy Spirit because they associate the Holy Spirit with a bunch of fanatics who do crazy things, unscriptural things, and just act crazy in church and their lives never change. Well, I don't want to just, just uh, uh, ha have something that never changes me. Because I need to be changed. How about you? We all need to be changed. So the church is powerful, but it is completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to orchestrate its actions, to bring to it a vision and a purpose, and to empower those members of the body of Christ to actively function as representatives of Jesus Christ. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's hear what Paul says um, about believers in this particular passage. In verse number 17 is one of the most familiar verses to us here, but we'll read now down through <clears throat> verse number, at least through verse number 20. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the idea here is a species that never existed before. With each and every one of your new births, there came into existence a being who had never lived before. Amen. You are uniquely created by God, just as you are. Hallelujah. So he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has recon reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us that's those of us who have been reconciled, those of us that are born again, those of us that have received the finished work of Jesus. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of condemnation. We're not called to tell the world how bad they are. They know it. We're not called to mock the world and to talk down to them and be mean to them. They're already tormented by the devil. They already know what they're doing isn't working. They already know it's a dead-end street they're on. No, we're called to bring to them a ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation. That they can be set at one again with Almighty God. Just think about that. That we have access to God. We don't have to go to the church building to find that access. You can have it on your front porch. You can have it in your garage. You can have it out in your backyard. We've been reconciled to God. That means there's no, no thing between God and me, no thing between you and God that causes him not to see you in the light of righteousness. That means all your past is gone. Aren't you glad we don't have to come in here every Sunday and tell everybody every wrong thing we've done the week before? Aren't you glad that Everybody doesn't have to know every thought you've thought. Aren't you glad everybody doesn't have to know about all your past, where you've been, what you've done? And the reason that's true, and the reason that's okay for believers to come to church this way, is because we've been reconciled to God. And my brother and sister, if God chose to forget it, who am I to bring it back up? Whether it's about you or even about myself. It wouldn't be in good taste to bring up that which God has chosen to forget. We have a ministry of reconciliation. Verse number 19 says, That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So you get the, the, the twice telling of that particular part of our ministry. That's what the church is about. It's about reconciliation. And so, in verse 20, he gives us this title. He gives us this, this place in the kingdom. Every one of us has this place. Not just a preacher, not just an apostle or a prophet, but every believer. Now then, we are ambassadors. Look at your neighbor and say, you're an ambassador. 
Think about that. An ambassador. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. In other words, he's saying, you have an ambassadorship and you are God's representative. You are re, again, re-presenting God to the world you live in. You know, I'm not an expert in uh, protocol for... Um, uh, you know, the whole world of, the, of politics and state governments and so on and so forth, but I do know enough about this thing uh, to, to say this to you. Ambassadors don't go to the nations they go to to live like and just fit in with and become one with the nations to which they are sent. The poorest countries in the world where the United States has an ambassador and an embassy, those ambassadors live in a compound where the embassy is, and by international law even, that compound area is as if it were a little piece of the United States. The local police can't go in there and arrest them. They have what's called diplomatic immunity. They, they live in there, and if we have to, uh, we, f- we will ship or fly whatever we need to do. We will fly them food for them to eat, furniture for them to use. We will take care of them so that they live in the country where they are as if they were living here in the United States. And that's the picture of you. In your world, we don't live according to the dictates of the world, but we live according to the dictates of heaven. My little house is just a piece of heaven on the earth. I have immunity. (laughs) When the devil comes knocking on the door, I can say with boldness, I am a new creation in Christ. I've been recreated in Him. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm in Him. He's in me. I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I've got the Word, the sword of the Spirit. And so therefore in my house, I'm going to live different than the way the world lives outside. I have what the Word says I have. I am who the Word says I am. And I can do what the Word says I can do. So devil, you just got to pack your stuff up and leave me alone. You won't make it stick here. You got to go in the name of Jesus. I am an ambassador for Christ. And that is one of the most powerful ways you testify to your world. Can you see why it doesn't work for you to nag people? That's not the ministry of reconciliation. Every time you see them, say, why weren't you in church? You really hurt my feelings because you didn't show up. Why aren't you living right? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you doing that? Stop all of that. Stop all of that. Nobody wants to hear that. You're not doing any good for anybody. But love on them. You say, well, sin is sin. It is sin. Jesus dealt with it. God is going to judge things. I'm not in either of those positions. I'm not their redeemer, and I'm not their judge, but I am an ambassador. And I can come into their life and bring them a little bit of heaven. I can bring them a word of encouragement. I can can bring them to uh, some knowledge about the goodness of God. Yeah, I love that song about the goodness of God because... That's really the story of everything here. The goodness of God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so it says, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's so powerful. Some of you have loved ones, people you are very concerned about. People you've witnessed to, you've uh, fussed over them and maybe fussed at them. You have prayed for them. You may have fasted for them. You, you've done all kinds of things. 
Can I suggest be the ambassador you're called to be? Don't hide your blessings. Don't poor mouth. Don't complain. I don't like $5 gas. But I don't go complaining every time I pull up to the gas pump. I tell Glenn when I get home, it's good to be rich. It's good to be healed. You see, the world's conditions don't dictate how we live if we know who we are in Christ. If it were $10 a gallon, I'd still drive around. Sometimes you just have to do some things just to spite the devil. Just say, take that. Amen. I know that sounds pretty far out. But uh, the older I get, the bolder I get, and the more blessed I get. Hallelujah. So, but don't, don't poor mouth. Don't gripe. Don't complain. Just, just be an ambassador. Be an ambassador. And God will open doors and opportunities that you may not even realize now that will come open, but they will because people then will find themselves in a place where they need prayer. You know, there are people who think you're crazy. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here today. But, you know, just coming to a church like this, they, they already think, you know, maybe you got to screw loose. I mean, I've told you before, I used to be afraid of you all. I mean, you know, people like you. But God can change your mind. He can change your mind. Anyway, uh, so, so there may be people who they kind of stand back. They kind of act like they're not sure about you. But I can tell you this. If you will live the life of an ambassador... When they get in a place of need, they'll call. Because people will realize there's something about your life. This is not how I thought we were going to go today. This is not where all I thought we'd be. I had no plans to end up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But somebody needs to know this. You need to hear this. And let me say this, not, not to try to be over dramatic, but to be honest with you. There are probably people in, 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 in your life, in some people's lives here today, that don't have a long time on the earth. They need to get right with God. They need to be born again. They need a change in their lives. Be the ambassador that God called you to be. Now, one of the things we've been looking at, this is where I thought we would get into, but obviously we're not going to hardly get into any of it today, but is to talk about the conditions that the early church functioned in. What made the early church so successful? They, by the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, and that's approximately 17 to 20 years or so, when you read the book of Acts, 28 chapters, it, it really corresponds roughly to about whatever chapter you're on. That's probably how many years you are away from Pentecost. So that's a little helpful thing when you read the book of Acts and study it. So within about 17 to 20 years... After Pentecost, the world testified about the church. And here's what they complained about the church. They said, they that have turned the world upside down have come here also. In other words, <laughs> these tongue-talking, Pentecostal, hand-laying-on, devil-casting-out, divine-healing-believing people, they've come here to ruin our community. <laughs> they've come here. They bought property. They built a church. Not, not actually that, but that's, their testimony was, they that have turned the world upside down have come here also. How did they do that? How did they do that? They had no live stream, no radio, no television, no social media. They didn't even have a printing press. You know, that, that early group of people, they did not come to church carrying a leather-bound Bible printed with ink and, you know, on paper. That, that, that's not how it was. How did they do this? How did this message come forth, the simplicity of this truth? How did they get this done? Well, I believe that if we find out how they did it, that we can do the same thing. Now, I know that we don't have the job to reach the entire world. That's the job of the whole church. But we've got a job to reach Central Virginia with the message of faith and power. We've got a job to become a healing place, a deliverance place, 
a place of salvation, a place of joy, a place where the Spirit of God moves in His gifts and power. That's our assignment, to lift up Jesus to this entire region. And so if we can find out what they did, then I would suggest to you we can do the same thing. And I would also ask this question, are we exempt from what they did? And I would answer that with this. In order to have the same results they had, we've got to meet the same conditions they met. And so what did they do? We've already looked at some of this in prior uh, Sunday mornings. And so we won't take time to look through each, uh, each individual passage for any length of time. But some common denominators was, number one, unity. Unity. They, they were with one accord around the things of God. I'm sure they all didn't like the same thing for breakfast. Maybe they all didn't probably want to wear the same color suit. But uh, they were in unity about the spiritual things. They had a right attitude. Everybody say right attitude. Then number two, they were in the right place. Everybody say right place. Location is important. If you would have on that Pentecost day, and by the way, today is Pentecost Sunday. I told somebody before the service started, every Sunday is Pentecost around here. Praise the Lord. But anyway, uh, if you would have been anywhere but the upper room, you'd have missed it. Man, that's an important message I just gave you. That is very important. Had you been anyplace else but the upper room, you'd have missed that historic outpouring on that day. I'm sure there were people who got filled later, but wouldn't it have been something to have been able to be there and not show up? I think I would have regretted that the rest of my life. But anyway, the right location was important. Number three, obedience. Those who were there were there because God uh, wanted them there, and Jesus had told them to tarry. They were there out of obedience. That's the right response. Everybody say right response. So unity is the right attitude. Location is the right place. Obedience is the right response. And then number four is time. Pentecost didn't happen the first day they were waiting. They actually didn't know that they had to wait until the day of Pentecost. That was God's plan. That was on God's calendar. But they didn't realize that that was what they were waiting on. They didn't know. They were just given this test, this obedience test. And by the way, you do know that God does not test us with evil. He doesn't tempt us with evil. God's not putting temptation to sin on you. God's not putting sickness on you. God's not putting devils on you. He don't give you what he doesn't have. But there are obedience tests, and they come in various forms. Sometimes they involve finances, sometimes they involve being where we're supposed to be at the right time, sometimes they involve uh, our interactions with other people. There can be different ways that God will, will give us an opportunity to pass a test. And every time you pass a test, you get promoted. If you don't like where you are, then uh, you need some promotion. Start passing the tests. Now, I know school's different nowadays, but when I was growing up, if you didn't make it, you got left behind. And the little report cards I used to get, I I would say they don't do it today because it might hurt somebody's feelings, but they would have this line on the back, and it would say at the end of the year, there was a line for promoted to, and another line under it says retained in. I was always nervous that I was going to be retained in. And I knew some kids. I went to school with some kids that had been retained in. They didn't do first grade right. They had to do it over. Well, I don't know that we do all of that today, but I know this. In the kingdom of God, if you don't pass, you have to take the test again. And, uh, you, you know, you can't just take it so many times that God feels sorry for you and gives it to you on attendance. You know? Now, you've been here 30 times. I'm just going to pass you. I'm tired of looking at you. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And so it's important that, that we, we are obedient. And so they had to spend some time. Now, I'm not saying you have to wait on the infilling of the Holy Spirit now because the Spirit has come. But, but it's just an example of how they were to spend their time. And this showed a right priority. Everybody say right priority. How you spend your time reveals your priorities. If you never open your Bible, then your Bible's not a priority. If you never worship, then worship's not a priority. If you never go to church, church isn't a priority. 
If you never tithe and give, then God's financial plan isn't a priority. I mean, we can say what we want to. We can get in a conversation in a group with people, and we can say all the good-sounding stuff we want to say. But what really tells the tale is what we do. And one of the biggest ways we reveal what we do is what we spend time with. Amen. Another common denominator was prayer. That was the right action. Everybody say right action. A church will never rise above its prayer life. An individual will never rise above their prayer life. One of the most important lessons, one of the most important educations you'll ever get is to know how to pray. I would say this, and I, I, I would argue with any... Well, I'm not going to really argue with anybody, but you're not going to change me, put it that way. Uh, learning how to pray is more important than a college degree. I'm not saying a college degree isn't important, but I'm saying learning how to pray is even more important. Because in the place of prayer, you can receive information from God that can change the rest of your life for the better. You can, in a place of prayer, receive instruction from the Lord and information from God that will keep you from something that you should never have to go through. People have made much uh, about, and I'm not saying it's totally wrong, because I, I think many people have wanted to legitimately answer a difficult question especially ministers, have wanted to answer questions for people. And the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there are a lot of variables and a lot of different answers that could be right, I guess. But I want to suggest to you one very real reason is because many times what we would call good people are not in tune spiritually. It's not that they're in some open, horrible sin. It's not that they are doing really bad things. It's just that they are not spiritual enough to really be hearing from God. Some of you are old enough to remember radios that had to be manually, physically tuned. And some of you remember this, uh, this old phrase that, that people in radio used to say to keep people from changing to a different station. They would say, don't touch that dial. Remember that? Well, it was that dial that you would turn that would tune you in to a particular station. A lot of people are not tuned in to hearing the right voice. If you know more about the news than you know about the New Testament, you're tuned into the wrong channel. If you know more about sports then you know about the epistles, you're on the wrong channel. I'm not saying never listen to news. I'm not saying never watch sports. But it's all about your priorities. It's all about who is first in your life. So it's very, very important that uh, we are tuned in properly and hearing from God because a lot of people have gotten into a lot of trouble, and even some have lost their lives prematurely. Thank God they're in heaven. Thank God they're walking the streets of gold and enjoying themselves. And you know that you don't ever have to feel sorry for anybody that goes to heaven. You ever wonder why nobody ever comes back? Nobody wants to come back here. The few testimonies that you can hear of people that have, have made a crossing or a partial crossing into that realm... They argued many, many times with the Lord, I don't want to go back. You say, do you really believe that? I do. There may be a few people who made up some stuff to sell a few books or something, maybe out there. That may be so. But, um, but there are some people who have really seen some things. The Apostle Paul was caught up to heaven. You, you notice when he talked about dying, he said, I would rather do that. He said, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. In other words, he was kind of putting a little bit of a guilt trip on, his, on those people because he was saying, I'm having to hang around because of you. you know, get with the program, we can all go to heaven. Why did he say that? Because he'd been to heaven. He'd been caught up. And so nobody that's there wants to come back. So there are a lot of good people, though. They're there, and they've enjoyed the presence of the Lord there. But they went too soon. And not always 
This is not every reason for every person, so don't misunderstand me. But, but in many cases, it's because they just didn't hear God. The Lord tried to warn them. Don't go down that road. Don't go down that street. Slow down at that intersection. Look again. Don't get on that contraption that you tried to get up on the house with or whatever it may be. I guarantee you that any situation in your life, since you've been born again and your spirit's been made alive to God, any situation in your life that's created for you a lot of problems, caused you a lot of pain, cost you a lot of money, or anything of that nature, if you'll look back, God was trying to get through to you. He was trying to warn us. He was trying to correct us. And, you know, I've been guilty. So I'm not preaching this from a standpoint of I'm perfect, be like me. That's not what I'm saying. We're all learning. But I want you to learn this. Because I'd much rather see you in church and let's shout together as to have to see you in a hospital bed. Amen? All right, let's go to the last one. And honestly, we just barely got started today. But anyway, thank God for next week. The last one that the early church had in common, and we see this from, uh, in case you weren't here, you don't know where we were going. We were looking at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter um, 8, Acts chapter 10, we wanted to get to, and then to Acts 13. Uh, We may not get to look at each little situation, but you'll see these things in common. The last one I want to talk about today is the Holy Ghost in manifestation. The Holy Spirit manifestation. That's the right person directing things. Everybody say the right person. person. So unity is the right attitude, location, the right place, obedience, the right response, time, the right priority, prayer, the right action, and the Holy Spirit is the right person directing what the church does. They created an atmosphere through their obedience and through these things I've just mentioned so that the Holy Spirit could come among them and not only save lost people, but baptize believers in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, heal the sick, deliver the demonized, set the captives free, and build a body of believers that in a matter of really, relatively speaking, a few years, the world would say of them, complaining about them, They've turned the world upside down. There's a world here that we need to turn right side up. That's the way I like to look at it. And it's not a world of dead religion. It's not a world of man-made traditions. It's not a world of quietly let me mind my own business. I'm a secret agent Christian here. Don't bother me. That's not the world I'm talking about. I'm talking about a world of people who really know Jesus. And they're so excited about Jesus that they want to share him with others. You know, we talked in the early part about these, all these folks getting engaged. Did you notice that we didn't have to twist their arm to get them to stand up to acknowledge that they're going to spend the rest of their life with someone they love? If you really love Jesus, people don't have to twist your arm to know that you know him. We have an assignment, church. I, 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 just, I just didn't get there today, but we'll get there. But we have an assignment. And I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to, to go back again. There are people some of you need to talk to, and quickly. There's some people you need to love on. You know, maybe you need to buy their lunch. Maybe you need to let them talk. And then you have a few good words. Be an ambassador. Be a heavenly diplomat. And all the while, live the lifestyle of our home. Show them what heaven's like. Let them see what a person with real peace looks like. How do we deal with inflation at a 40-year high? How do we deal with $5 gasoline? How do we deal with a world that has just, in so many ways, gone totally nuts? 
Do we sit around and regurgitate the news, griping and complaining, worrying, full of fear about the future? Or do we bring peace and calm and the Word of God? You know, it's one thing to read about Daniel in the lion's den, David in front of Goliath. It's one thing to read about uh, Joseph down in Egypt. It's one thing to read about the Apostle Paul in front of King Agrippa. It's one thing to read about these Bible stories and say amen and draw lessons from them that are good. But you know, church, in some ways, we're in the lion's den today. In many ways, we are staring down the kings of the earth with a, with, who have a totally different agenda than what this word presents. And we're having to decide what we believe. Glenna was sharing with me just the other day about a young man. We knew him when he was just a little boy. Uh, 30-something years ago. He grew up, he went to school, and uh, became a, an educator in, in the state of Connecticut. And uh, actually just teaching, I think, science in middle school. Is that correct? Or high school? And um, he just lost his job the other day because he said to his students that he believed in God and he believed that God created the world. I know that's not happening everywhere, but I'm just saying that is the kind of world the church is in. What's our response going to be? Are we going to respond as whiners, gripers, complainers, fear mongers? Or are we going to respond like an ambassador? Are we going to square our shoulders? Are we going to stand firm and declare the truth? In love, using our best demeanor, our best grammar and everything else, but tell the truth. And then let God confirm his word. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for Pentecost. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you are the same. Yesterday, today, and forevermore. You are still a healer, a savior, a deliverer, a provider, a source of peace. You're a guide, a priest, an advocate, a lawyer. You're all these things in the presence of the Father. And Lord, as you work on our behalf and bring us to places where you want us to be, we know we have an obligation to labor on your behalf as your ambassadors and your representatives, to re-present you each and every day again, to present you afresh and anew. And I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for giving us wisdom and insight and instruction. Lord, in this service, things have taken a different turn than I thought perhaps in the early parts of the meeting, but you had this in mind all along. Somebody needs to start living like an ambassador in every respect. And you are the one who can make this come to pass. So we pray that the word gone forth will find a good lodging place in every heart and produce an abundant harvest for the glory of God in the name of Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you might be here today and you say, I don't know the Lord, but I want to. I'm not born again. Or you might say, I've wandered so far away from the things of God. I've gotten so far away from a worship life, a prayer life, and obedience to God and what I know He wants me to do, His will for my life, that I need to make a recommitment. I, I need to just publicly say, Lord, I'm back. Please receive me. Please forgive me. Make me new. If you've never known Jesus... The Bible says that if we will confess him as Lord, while we are believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. It's not a hard process. It's not a system of penance and good works outweighing the bad. That would never work for any of us. 
It's all about what Jesus did. So all you need to do is ask him to come into your heart. You need to ask him to forgive your sin, and you need to ask him right now to be your Lord and take him as that. He wouldn't offer if he didn't want to do it. You know, one of the questions sometimes we ask people when they offer us something good or they offer to do something for us, I mean, it's just kind of human nature. It's a habit. We say, are you sure? You know, that's really an insult. And it certainly is an insult to God. You don't have to ask God, are you sure you want me? Are you sure you'll take me? He wouldn't have offered if he didn't. And he wouldn't have made the offer if he couldn't make good on it. If he couldn't cleanse your sin, if he couldn't deliver you, if he couldn't change your life, he would never offer to do so. So if you're here this morning, or you're watching online, and you say, that's me, I need Jesus, then if you will, just put your hand up where you are. No hands in here, maybe somebody at home. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you'll do just what you said you'll do. That if we come to you, you will in no wise cast us out. You'll take us in. I thank you that you will forgive and cleanse us from all our sins and unrighteousness because the blood of Jesus paid the price for all of it. And I thank you that you will come into our lives and live within us by the power and presence and person of the Holy Spirit. That you'll make us a new creation in Christ, an ambassador for the Lord Jesus. And I ask this and pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I think that's all I need to do today. Matt, if you'll come and you can close out our service, anything else you need to add, you can do that. Um, services are different. You know, sometimes we lay hands on all kinds of folks, just a whole line of people. Sometimes the emphasis is on different things. Today, the Lord had a message for us. I hope you've received it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.